0: Turn to the book of Titus, the book of Titus, the third chapter, if you would. Titus, chapter three. We'll read from verse number 1 down through verse number 7 of Titus chapter 3. Verse number 1 says this, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right, let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the abiding presence of Your Spirit and the uh, renewing and cleansing power uh, that you have uh, brought to bear in our lives, that you have, uh, what you have done for us through the gospel, the things that we've read about here in Titus chapter three. Lord, I thank you for our church and thank you for the lives of the people here, what you're doing in them, even at this moment, even at this time. And Sometimes, Lord, we acknowledge that we are often ignorant of uh, what you're doing in us. We can't see it. We're, our eyes are 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 darkened and our, our ears are dull of hearing. But Lord, I pray that you would continue your work and your people here at Choice Hills. I do pray for wisdom in the, in the way ahead and in your, that your will would be made known to our church in this time of transition, that you would just make your way perfectly clear to each and every person. Lord, I pray for those among us that are ill, that are waiting on tests. I think of Miss uh, Judy and Woody, uh, I think of uh, uh, Brother Harden, Sonny Harden. I pray for him. I pray that you would give grace and you would give good results to them and mercy in those uh, test results. I pray for uh, Ms. Baruch that you would give her grace and help, Lord, with her treatment for her, her illness there with the cancer. Please, God, have mercy on her and allow the treatments to be effective. We also pray for Brother Vernon as he goes in for physical therapy. Lord, would you please bless it such that it would really help him to improve and move beyond this and his back would and neck would recover. Lord, we also want to pray for the Baruch family, uh, Lester and Angela and those in their family that are sick as well as for Eric and Sharon and, and, uh, and Victor, please bless them. Please give them a quick recovery and quick healing from their, uh, the issues, the, the sickness they have. We also pray for uh, for Sister Rita, please give her a, a quick recovery from her, uh, from her uh, sore throat. And uh, Lord, for those uh, others that, that are ill and maybe some that should be here that aren't and uh, that are having uh, difficulty or whatever the case might be, Lord, I pray that you would just give them the grace that they need uh, to come back to us to love the fellowship of your people. And uh, Lord, I pray for the, the message today and the delivery of it, as well as the receiving of it. Lord, would you please just guide and direct control every part of it, that your name and your gospel, your truth, might be glorified. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Titus was, of course, this is a book written to a, essentially a preacher, a pastor. Uh, does anybody know where Titus was a pastor? Just yell it out, it's fine. He was on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. So Crete was, a well, uh, of course, a well-known place, but the people of Crete were also a people that were well-known for some pretty, pretty bad things. And we'll see a little bit of that in just a little bit. But, so he was a pastor. But what we read in chapter 3 is, notice what it says in verse number 1, because I kind of want to get the context of who is being spoken to and who is being spoken about. In verse 1 of chapter 3, the Bible says, Paul now, speaking to Titus, the pastor, who is the pastor of a church in Crete, he says, put them in mind. Put them in mind. So the them being referred to is referring not to Titus as the leader, as the example, as the pastor of the church, but he's telling Titus what to tell the church. So the instructions in chapter 3 apply to every Christian. Apply to every Christian. Now, of course, we know that the, that instructions and exhortations and, and uh, scriptures that are applicable to preachers and pastors, for t- such as 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, are also, we can find, you know, application to every one of our lives, whether we're in that role or not. But in this case, it is particularly applicable to the Christians there on Crete. And in verse 1, the Bible says this put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. Now, this is principalities and powers is, is what is the words that we use to refer, it's biblical language to refer to the government. Okay, that's the bottom line. It's, it refers to the government, the powers that be. We're talking about judges, police officers, those appointed, the governor. Uh, we're talking about representatives, senators. This power structure, God, Romans, Romans tells us very clearly that God has established it. And we don't like everything they do. And Paul didn't, surely didn't like everything that the powers that be in his time, uh, what they decreed. But the, the commands in verse number one are important for us to remember. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So as a Christian, our relationship to the government is very, very clear. So we got to be careful. When we are critical and rightly critical of what our government does and how that they do evil and they decree evil and support evil and fund evil, we have to be careful that that... Uh, that that open maybe call it that that fact of our being open-eyed to what is going on in this world does not cross over, and it often does among Christian people, cross over into rebellion to those those same powers, because that is clearly outside of the boundaries of Scripture. This is not what I want to preach on, but I have to I have to cover it because this is the verse it's in our context here. And then in and then in verse two. I read when I read verse two as I was preparing for this message. It was I had to kind of, kind of knock me back on my heels a little bit, and I had to search my own heart. It didn't take long to find the the part I had to look for, to be honest. But it says to speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So as we interact with people who are not believers, you know, you think about the context of the government you know, and and the, the exhortation, the commands in verse one, of course, followed right behind. Josh, check the nursery? That light just came back, came on. Just making sure that they're just playing or whatever. Um, we have to make sure that we're careful when we deal with people out in the world. Because it says in verse two, to speak evil of no man. I know I get frustrated. You get frustrated. I get frustrated when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm driving, and I know these are kind of petty things, but I think they apply in a larger sense to other things. People driving, it get, I just gets my goat when I see people that do not give, uh, that are not courteous of other people, other people's time, other people's space, and just, just, just like run roughshod over, over other people. That, that is something that really, really bothers me. And I have a tendency to say bad things about people when they do that. You know, I see when you see people standing in line and they, you know, they're, they're waiting too long and they're frustrated and they're antsy and then they get up and they make a loud complaint to themselves, but they want everybody else to hear it. You know, that kind of passive aggressive comments people make, you know, about how this place is, it has terrible service and that, you know, that kind of stuff. We see that and at least for me, I tend to be, I tend to be critical and I tend to want to say and repeat and talk about those, those people. But it's important for us to remain gentle. To remain, the the key thing is to remember something about ourselves. Because verse 3, we're not spending a long time in verse 2, but look at verse 3. So our gentleness, we're not to be hostile. We're not to be quick to, to, to be in conflict. We're not to be quick to reprove and and, and just chide people and mock them and gossip about them. That's in verse number two. But why? It begins in verse three. Verse three says this, for. The word for is important because the reason why we're to be gentle, the basis for our gentleness, our meekness, that's a beautiful word, We need to understand. Hopefully, we'll get a better understanding of the word meekness in just a minute. The reason we're not to speak evil of them when people act crazy, when people do stupid, the reason we're not is because of the beginning of verse 3. It says, "For." It says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So this is a description of us. So, but the Lord wants us to remember, the Lord wants us to remember when we see people do stupid. Think about if you saw someone do what is in verse three. Foolishness, disobedience, deception, giving themselves to lust and pleasures, malice, and, and, and listen, we all observe people in the world doing this. We all observe it in some form or another. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's, a, sometimes it's a small thing that comes from a very big problem like you read in verse number three. But here's the thing. As we look at those people, the only way we're going to be able to have that gentleness and meekness and not be, not be condescending as the key to people in the world that act out is if we remember our own selves, and where we once were. Because listen, for every person in here that's born again, every one of us to some degree or another has a past. We can, every one of us can relate to the stupid that people do. You might say the stupid, the, doing the stupid of sin, because sin is stupid. So all of us, we should, never, we should never look down condescendingly upon people that do stupid. We should never do that. We should be mindful. We should be mindful of what we were once. Not, as a, not, as a, not with a spirit of, well, I used to do that, but I, I don't do that anymore. I, you know, I, I moved past that. No, 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 no. As we'll see in just a minute, we, that's out of the question. That kind of tone and attitude is out of the question. But we must be mindful that we were once involved in that very thing. Now, here's the, here's the key. Talking about being meek, being gentle toward others who act, who act out stupid in sin. The meekness comes from our own self-examination, our own remembering where we once were. That's where it comes from. We understand why they're doing what they're doing. And we understand... Because we're on this side of the gospel, right? We understand why, they do, why they're doing what they're doing. And we understand that oftentimes they don't know what they're doing. Just like we at that time did not understand what we were doing. So by examining ourselves and remembering, now we know that the Lord doesn't remember our sins, right? Right? The Lord forgives us and cleanses us and does not remember our sins. But we remember them. And remembering them can help us and inform our attitude toward other people. So when you see someone who acts, acts dumb in sin or acts out or does stupid or has road rage or, or is rude to the person at the coffee shop or at the restaurant or whatever, you got to remember our attitude toward those and I'm saying it to you as much as to me, or to me is as to much as to you, that it should, be, it, should not, it should be an attitude of meekness, gentleness. Maybe not understanding in the way that we approve of what they're doing, but compassion, forbearance, patience. This is the way God expects us to deal with people in this world. This is the attitude and tone. This idea, listen, this idea among believers that we just need to take the bull by the horns or we just need to set everybody in their place is not in the Bible. We need to correct what they're doing. You know, there are times when the light must reprove the darkness. I say amen to that. But the attitude, the attitude is what we have to be careful of. Even when we do that, we do that with meekness, knowing we were there. And the only reason, the only reason we're not there is because God stepped into our life. So we don't have anything to boast about. No, no, no pinnacle, no peak from which we can peer down on everybody else that's acting dumb in sin. No, we do, we do so with meekness. That is, we do so from a low vantage point, not looking down from a high vantage point, but lowly with meekness, knowing that the, only thing that the only thing that separates us and them is that God stepped into our lives in a big way. And so that will affect the way we treat others. I hope we all, I hope I remember this. If you look at verse number three, Verse number three talks about this. For we ourselves were, were also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. If you look at these descriptions, first of all, this is a dreadful description of a, of, of a man or a woman. This is not a good description. You can't take this description and say, well, they're a good, they're a good person. No, they're not. A person to whom this description applies is not a good person. No matter if they do good things once in a while, they are bad. Okay? Let's look at it. There's three basic categories listed here. You have foolish, disobedient, deceived. That is three areas of sin. The first area is sin as it relates to God. They're foolish, disobedient, deceived. Foolishness, simply Deficient in understanding. I have, listen, I have met people. Again, I'm speaking as a believer. Who do dumb and dumb. I'm not talking about just forget things. I'm talking about who do dumb in sin. That is what foolishness is at its core. It's uh, it's a, it's a want of wisdom. And a want of wisdom leads to sin, leads to disobedience. It leads to error. But it's just, it's without wisdom. And of course, we know the beginning of wisdom is The fear of the Lord. So, without wisdom, there's no fear of God, and so they just pass on and are destroyed, just like the Proverbs say. Foolishness. But then you have disobedience is direct rebellion toward God's law. This is a transgressor. Somebody who knows what's right and knows what's wrong and chooses to do what is wrong. Then you have deceived. Deceived in error concerning the truth, believes lies as true, and sometimes to the point of turning away from the truth. This is the sin as it relates to God. You see, their relationship to God is marred. They're messed up. They're spoiled. They're corrupt. Then you have the sin as it, as it relates to oneself. What it says, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. Listen, I want to tell you something about this world. This world lives in a state where they are, hear me now. This said, what's was the first the first word in that section? Serving diverse lusts and pleasures. That means they are enslaved. They do not have a choice in the matter. Sin and pleasure dictates what they do. They are, as it were, like a boat on a on a on a on a tempestuous ocean of sin, and when the waves go here or wind blows there, they just go right along with it, the lusts that are in the flesh. This deals with sexual sins, completely controlled by those those sexual, those carnal impulses. It includes things like the love of money. I call it my three S's. They are sex, silver, and strong drink that completely control people. And then you have pleasures, partying, excesses, drunkenness. Serving something, anything that makes them feel good rather than what is right and what is holy and what is good. These are the sins toward oneself. And then lastly, in verse number three, you have this. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is sin as it relates to other people. People, that, people without God live in such a live in a way that is they're difficult to get along with they're envious and jealous they're they're hateful as in the word hateful means they're just malicious they're just hard wicked and they not only not only are they toxic to other people but they themselves do things and harm other people through hatred. It mo- Listen now, the, the envy and the malice and the hatred that they have toward other people who do not please them manifests itself in doing harm to those people in the form of gossip, in the form of slander. In, in, actually, there are so many branches to this tree, I, I cannot name them all. Having hostility towards toward those that have something you want, whether it's money or praise, or beauty, or honor, that's envy. And you know what? As I was reading, is I came across something really interesting. That envy is one of the you know they call it one of the mortal sins. You know that's not something that's in the Bible, but. You know, all sin is a mortal sin. Adam and Eve eating a piece of fruit in the Garden of Eden was a mortal sin, was it not? It was. But as they call it a mortal sin, the deadly sins, envy is one of those. You know why? You you might call it, one writer I read, called these kinds of sins mother sins. And I think that's a good term. You know why? Because sins like envy breed other sins. They're not the final sin. They're the root They're the mother that bears children and the children are ugly and wicked and ungodly. These are sins, the area of sin as it relates to other people. Malice, envy, hateful, hating others. But here's what I want you to remember. This is a, what is verse three? Verse three is a description of you and me. That's what you have to remember. Read the text. This is not talking about other people. This is talking about me. This is talking about you in the past. We look back now that we're saved, now that we know God, we look back with what we might call a a sanctified vision. That is, our minds have been cleansed and purified through the gospel. We have the spirit of God. We have the the knowledge and wisdom of the word of God that has transformed our mind. So what we do, the Lord tells us, he tells us in verse three, he tells us to look back. This is what you were. Before we knew God. Now, let me ask you a question. At that time, now think back to before you knew God. I know some of you were saved as children, and so there's a little bit of difference there, but think back to the time before you knew God. This description in verse number three, at that time, did you think this about yourself? At that time, before you knew the Lord, did you think that verse three would apply to you? And the answer, nine out of 10 times is no. We don't think this of ourselves. I know before I got saved and I was 17 in August of 99. I know that verse three, I would not have said that was me. I look back now, just like the text says, I look back now and I think, well, yeah, that was me. But at the time, I didn't think that. At the time, I was self-righteous. And so I looked at myself and I thought, well, that's, that's not really me. You know what? That, listen now. That's an affliction that many, many people have. Self-righteousness is not just the Pharisee who's who's dressing in the long garments and has all the tassels and all the marks of a religious person. No, self-righteousness comes in many forms. There are are people who are drunkards and there are people who are fornicators and there are people who are adulterers who also are self-righteous and who also think that verse 3 doesn't apply to them. But here's what I want you to remember. As we think about this world, the Lord wants us to look back and ask ourselves, or first of all, to remember, I really was like this. This was me. Even though I didn't see it at the time. Now, follow that through. For the person, the man, the woman, the boy, and the girl who is not yet saved, who does not know Christ. What do they think about verse 3? Do they think it applies to them? No. They don't. Very few people realize and understand what God says about them when they are living in a state of sin and alienation from God. Very few people understand it. They think because they have nice thoughts about God, oh, God is good. Or because they get the license tag that says, in God we trust. I'm not joking. Well, I got the license tag that says, in God we trust. I think God's awesome. But that's not what God says of us. What matters is not what you think and I think of God. What matters is what God says of us. And God's description of man is dark. His description, listen, of me, some 20-something 20, 20 years ago, was dark. But it was true. But it was true. And so it should not surprise us when we meet people who do not know the Lord that they don't think that applies to them. They don't think they're this. But listen, if any person If any person is going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and is going to be saved and cleansed from sin and is going to become a child of God and is going to be born again, that person must first come to terms with what God says about them and the way that they have lived in direct violation and transgression and rebellion to God's Word. In other words, to put it more simply, If any person is going to come to Christ, they have to come to him saying, Lord, what you say about me is true. I am verse three. I want to ask you, have you ever seen that about yourself? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen and acknowledged what's written in verse three about yourself? Say, Lord, it's ugly, but I am that. That's me. Because that's exactly what God says of you. So verse 3, for someone who doesn't know God, is not some list. Listen now. It's not some list that God says, you just need to stop doing all these things. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a hopeless endeavor. It's not some list you say, well, you just got to stop envying and doing your malice and and stop being foolish and stop being disobedient. No, that's hopeless. God doesn't say that. He is not giving us a list to follow. He's saying, this is what you are. This is what I was. Now, he's saying it to a Christian, to a believer, right? The church at Crete. He's telling the believer to remember the way they are. But by extension... Those that do not yet know the Lord, it also applies to them. So I want to ask you a question. Once again, have you seen yourself as verse 3 describes you? Let me ask you a more important question. Because most everybody in here is a person who at least professes to have faith in Christ. And I'm not saying that to cast doubt upon your faith. I'm not. But the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. Does verse three apply to you now? You say, "I believed in Christ with all my heart. I am saved. I'm a Christian." That's terms terms we throw around all the time. I'm saved. I'm 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 a Christian. We throw terms around, and they they have often a superficial meaning. But but does verse three actually apply to you? Is your life characterized by verse 3. Because here's the thing, in verse 3 and in verse 4, you know what's implied here? Implied in this verse is that those who have believed in Christ no longer engage in a life like this. He says, for we ourselves also were. You know, it is a shame And a reproach for a person who has put a label of Christian or believer in Christ upon themselves and has made a profession of faith and said they believe in Jesus Christ who lives a life characteristic of verse 3. It ought not be. And if it is true, hear me now, and if it is true, and I leave you with that to examine yourself, then you are dreadfully inconsistent with this verse that describes believers as people who were something, not are. Reality is the book of Titus spends a lot of time. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. Spends a lot of time talking about the good works of Christians. One of them, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Verse 16, look what it says. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, not to every good work reprobate. 2, verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Verse number 14. Who gave Himself for us. that he he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Verse number three, or chapter three, verse eight. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will thou affirm constantly that they which had believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Verse 14, and let ours also learn to maintain good works. Look, Titus is all about good works about believers living right. All right, that's what Titus is about. That's why in verse number three, it's past tense because it's not supposed to be that way now. And if it is, listen, if your life or if my life is characteristic more of verse three rather than characteristic of a believing person's life, if these things characterize your life, that gives you good reason to pause. Because here's why, verse number 16 of chapter one. Please look at that verse. Chapter one, verse 16. Now I'm not saying this. God is saying this, and they profess that they know God. If I was to go around this room, almost everyone in this room would say, "I know God." That's what this is talking about. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. This doesn't mean they're saved by good works. It means their works are inconsistent and contradict the profession. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good good work reprobate. In other words, their their profession is empty. Now, if you would look back at chapter 3, verse 4. I've already said in in verse 3, the past tense is used to describe the believer. This is a person who once lived in sin, served lust and pleasures, had malice and envy and hateful. They were hateful to others and hated other people and constant problems and tension and toxicity all the time. These people were wicked, rebellious, disobedient to God, immoral, ungodly. This is God's description of me. I'm not standing here boasting. What do I have to boast of? This is God's description of me. <laughs> but it's also God's description of you. But then you get in verse 4, and I want to ask you a question What made the difference? Fact. Before I knew God, I was verse 3. Fact. Now, even with all my faults, I'm not at verse 3. I dare not brag. There's no bragging in that. What is the difference between part one and part two? Why is verse three, past tense, in your life and in my life? The difference was that God himself stepped in to your life with his love. That is all the difference. I didn't become a better person. I didn't reform. I didn't start coming to church. I was already coming to church before I got saved. The appearance of the love of God is the only explanation and the only reason that we are not as is described in verse three, that verse three is past tense. And you know what verses four through six describe? It describes simply all the things that God did. Not Adam, not Karen, none of us here. It described what God did that made verse three past tense in our lives. You see, let me explain something to you. The world looks at at people like us Again, there's no boasting, there's nothing. There's no pinnacle, we're not looking down on anybody like that. We have nothing to boast of. But the world looks at people like us that are, that are different, we, tr- we live different. Of course, we're no longer part one, we're now part two. We have a, di- uh, you know, verse three is past tense in our lives. I mean, they look at us and they say, they're weird. They're different than us. They acknowledge that, don't they, Josh, at work? They do. But they imagine that we live like this and we are this way because we started going to church or, you know, got religious or maybe we, we got involved with some preacher who gave us a bunch of rules that we started to follow and so we follow all the rules and that's, you know, why we are this way. We, they forced us to start to clean up our lives and the reality is that nothing is further from the truth. Verse 3 is not past tense in your life and my life. We are, not that, we are not changed from the, the life of, uh, and the characteristic of sin to the way we are now because of some rules, some preacher shoved down our throat and forced us to follow. No. The difference is in the love of God appeared. Look at verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. What we're talking about the love of God is, I, it was not like this. This is wrong. I'm about to describe it. I was a sinner. I lived in sin. I didn't, I didn't love other people. I didn't love God. I was a rebel. And all the read in verse 3. And all of a sudden, I heard about the love of God and how God loves me. And he would always love me. And that... Warmed my heart and I realized that God loves me, so I need to change my life. The sentiment of God's love just made a difference. No. That is not the appearance of God's love. The appearance of God's love means God's love was demonstrated to be seen. It made its appearance visually, tangibly. The love of God had feet. God did something out of love and kindness to us that made that difference. And it wasn't our heart was warm toward God. My heart wasn't warm towards God. God did something to save me and he did something to save you. The kindness, hear me now, uh, the kindness and love of God appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ period. That is the love of God appearing. When when the truth of the gospel came into my life that is the only reason to account for the reason I am not as I was and to account for what I am now. And the same is true for you. The only difference is the Lord Jesus Christ, period. And here's the thing. If you lack that difference that I'm referring to, that part A, part B, part one, part, however you want to describe it, if you lack that difference, if you lack that difference, there's only one cause. It is because that the the effect uh, and the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ has not been made in your life. That's chapter, six, chapter one we just read a minute ago. If you would, hold your place here and look at Romans chapter five. Verse number six. It says this. Listen to these words. It's only, only three or four verses, but listen to the words and, and notice how it parallels what we just read. For when we were yet without strength. Remember it talked about how that we serve lust and pleasures. We were slaves to it. That's what this is talking about. In due time, that's Christ appearing, right? In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's verse three. The ungodly. We weren't righteous. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse 8. But God commendeth. You know what that means? That means to demonstrate. That is the parallel of the word appear. The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. It came on the scene. It was demonstrated. How? Christ died for the ungodly, commendeth his love, demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. That's verse 3, past tense. Christ died for us. This is the love of God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is the only difference between a a saint and a sinner. That's it, period. It's not the goodness in the saint. It's not because the saint does good things. No. The difference that accounts for the change is only the love of God as shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel did the difference. Now look back at Titus. I'm sorry. I want to read one more verse in Romans. Verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by His blood. You see the gospel? That's the blood of Christ. That's on the cross, shed because of your sin and because of my sin. because of everything in verse 3, the love of God appeared to save us from verse three. And so Christ died for all those things in verse three that we have done, that we justly deserve to be punished for. Christ bore that punishment. That's the love of God, period. We shall be saved from wrath. Notice the last two words, through him. Jesus is the difference. Now back in Titus chapter three, we're almost finished. Verse 4 says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Nine out of ten people think that's how you become a Christian. That's how you get saved. That's why you should be very careful in your terms. When you're talking to people, don't just take it for granted. You get saved by doing good good works, doing righteousness. That's what nine out of ten people think. But this verse says not by works of righteousness. It actually says the opposite. I want to ask a question in verse five. What works of righteousness? The description of us is in verse three. Where are the works of righteousness? Do we think that doing a good thing here and there is somehow going to undo all the things that are listed in verse three? It doesn't. We have a, form of godliness, perhaps. And that form of godliness, that profession of godliness sometimes deceives us and fools us into thinking that we were righteous, but we're not. We weren't. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, please, I'm I'm talking to you right now. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not sure that the things I'm saying apply to you, Verse three does apply to you. Look what it says. Verse five, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Listen to this. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing refers to the removal of sin. That's when God saves us, when we put our faith wholly in Christ, acknowledging that we are, verse 3. God saves us and He washes our past sin away. But that's not all. It says, and renewal of the Holy Ghost. See, God can forgive our sin because Christ died for our sin, He paid the penalty. His his death was substitutionary. He was our substitute. It was vicarious. It was in our place. Now he can forgive us of our sins, but he doesn't stop there. It says in verse 5, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We have a new nature. We have been created anew. We have a new man impartation of new life and a new nature, a transforming of the inside of us. The world doesn't see that. So you look at at verse 5. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's the reason verse 3 is in past tense. It's not anything we did. God knows. It was what Jesus did. Furthermore, I promise I'm almost done. If in your life, if you you please would just be honest, if the things described in verse three are true of you, It is true of you because verse 5 hasn't happened to you. Because you have not been washed, and you have not been renewed. And so the way you were is the way you are. And the only reason that you, to the believer, to the Christian, the the only reason that I'm any different than that is Jesus. That's it. Not because I did anything good or changed my life, no. God stepped in. God did the work. Verse 6, talking about the Holy Ghost, it says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I just want to ask you a question. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? That is a sure mark. You can't see the Spirit of God, but the presence of the Spirit of God in a person is one of the sure biblical marks that you are a true, truly born-again person. And if the Spirit of God is in you, is it evident? Or do you just say it is? That, that's for each one of you to, 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 to search, for me to search as well. He said, the Spirit of God has been shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, and we're done. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified. All it means is to be made righteous. That's it. We have been made righteous. Verse 5, not by our works, not because we do good. We have been justified and made righteous. We are verse 3. Listen, we were verse 3. We don't have any righteousness. But God, through Christ, has made us righteous. Forgiven our sin. By His grace. God did it. And all the things that He has promised He says we are heirs of those things. We possess those. The things present and the things future. And it's all, every bit of it from start to finish was because of what God did. The kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared and he appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.